Dios. Welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute. Ghostbusters Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1984 film Ghostbusters Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And today we are here bringing Minute number 70. Brady, how are you? Doing good. Doing good. Really enjoyed uh, having Sean here. Wasn't he a great guest? Yeah, he really was. And um, somebody with not only an extensive knowledge of Ghostbusters, but Ghostbusters outside of the movie. Right. And the animated series was the real Ghostbusters was something that... uh, Took to a lot of people, fans of this franchise, and then people who were just you know enjoyed uh, cartoons yeah, back in the day. Yeah. And uh, anyway, he has such a, an extensive knowledge on like the history of that show and everything. It was really cool to get some some insight. Very, very yeah. much so. And if you haven't checked out Sean's uh, YouTube channel, he goes by the name Seanicus on YouTube, Twitter, all that stuff. It's S E A N I C C U S. YouTube.com slash Seanicus. YouTube.com slash Seanicus. Try that again. Well, hey, are you ready to go ahead and get into minute number 70? Let's do it. All right. Now, in the previous minute, we bore witness to the ghost infestation of New York City. We had just cut from a shot of Louis Tully walking around Manhattan amongst the chaos of ghosts escaping the Ghostbusters containment unit and staring at the sky. At minute number 70, we cut to a hot dog vendor serving lunch at Rockefeller Center Plaza. As he opens his cart to get more wieners out, a green light shines onto him. A supernatural wind picks up and blows his napkins and straws away while frightening everyone around him. At 70 minutes, 2 seconds, we cut to a shot of Slimer popping his head out of the hot dog cart with 12 hot dogs inside of his mouth. The hot dog vendor recoils in horror as Slimer rises out of the cart. We have one random shot of a dog thrown in there for some reason. At 70 minutes, 6 seconds, we cut to a shot of a now fully awake and moving Dana Barrett walking through her apartment. At 70 minutes, 11 seconds, we cut to another shot of supernatural energy streaking through the Manhattan skyline. At 70 minutes, 14 seconds, we cut to a shot of Louis Tully walking through New York traffic as he makes his way towards Dana Barrett's apartment. At 70 minutes, 17 seconds, we cut to an exterior shot of Dana Barrett's apartment balcony where we can now see Dana walking up to a window. At 70 minutes, 21 seconds, we cut to a tighter shot of Dana Barrett walking to the window as she gazes out at the supernatural chaos. At 70 minutes, 25 seconds, we cut to a shot of Dana's balcony window overlooking Central Park as more spiritual energy trails fly over the beautiful autumn-colored trees. At 70 minutes, 29 seconds, as the last of the trails flies over Central Park, we cut back to a shot of Dana Barrett standing inside of her apartment. At 70 minutes, 29 seconds, we cut back to a wider exterior shot of Dana's apartment balcony. Dana can be, can be seen standing inside of the apartment looking out over Central Park. After a few seconds, a low growl can be heard and the apartment explodes outwards towards the camera. At ten, at 70 minutes, 35 seconds, we cut to a shot of Louis Tully again looking up to the sky as he reacts to the sound of the explosion. After a few seconds, we cut back to a tight shot of Dana's face as she stands inside her apartment and stares out at the destruction with a blank stare. At 70 minutes, 42 seconds, we cut to a shot of Winston Zedmore telling guards at a jail... That he wants to make a phone call and that he only works with the Ghostbusters. He wasn't even there when the explosion happened. The camera slowly pans right where Egon Spangler is telling Ray and Vankman that the structural makeup of the roof cap on 55 Central Park West mirrors that of a satellite used by NASA to locate dead pulsars in deep space. Ray pulls out an additional blueprint that shows the girders on the building have cores of pure selenium. And thus ends minute number 70, so... It took me a while to get that on lot because a lot is happening in this There minute. is a lot going on. We're at the very end of the montage of kind of the spiritual energy pulsating through New York, letting all the ghosts out. <laughs> the ghosts are wreaking havoc. We see the last of those ghosts, Slimer, you know, popping up out of the out of the hot dog cart, chomping on the hot dogs, which is pretty cute. But um, 
It's a cool effect. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. And it's the best shot. I think we get of Slimer's face in the movie. It doesn't look like, you know, any other shot we've seen of him so far. Yeah. Uh, it's a really... His movement is very... Uh, fluid? It, it, yeah, know. fluid. Yeah. It looks realistic. And he chomps down on the hot dogs and, like, slices them in half, too. So I wonder yeah. how many tooks it, it takes it uh, took for me to get that. So you get a little information on the actor who was playing the That's hot dog right. vendor. That's right. The hot dog vendor was an actor named Sam Moses, mm-hmm. who appeared in a few other things, including uh, the show Eerie Indiana. Yeah. Remember Eerie Indiana? Loved it. Yeah. Adventures in Babysitting, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and a few other things. He actually tragically passed away oh. uh, June 21st of this year. He was 72 years old. Wow, that was recently. That was young, yeah. really. Oh, yeah. That's I very know. young, yeah. Which means he would have been, I don't, I'm not going to do the math, but very young in Ghostbusters. Yeah. On the August 5th, 1983 draft of Ghostbusters, there was a scene where the hot dog vendor chases Slimer through the Sedgwick Hotel with his hot dog cart. So uh, this was actually one of the first things that they shot in the movie. <laughs> so I guess around the time that they were shooting the cab driver, you know, all that chaos in New York that was going on, they, they shot the scene with Slimer. Cool. Yeah. And, the, you know, they had, they wanted to reintroduce Slimer to the audience at this part since he had such a, you know, pivotal part earlier in the movie. So they included him there. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, it's a cool scene. It's really funny and it kind of gets Slimer's personality. Um, the montage continues to do some really cool stuff uh, editorially. And whenever um, Dana is walking through her apartment towards the window and she's kind of looking up, uh, the cut between the direction that her eyeline is, where she's looking, the uh-huh. next cut is the beams, and they're kind of moving. Uh, she's like on, I think, the um, <clears throat> right, sort of to the right, center side of the screen, looking up towards the left, and then the beams are coming from the exact opposite direction in the next one. So they're, right. she's looking at them, they're looking yeah. at her, moving towards each it's other. It's important when you're editing a movie to match eyeline, mm-hmm. because it's one of those subliminal things you don't think about you know, when you're watching the movie, but if you have someone looking off in one direction, and then you cut to someone who wasn't in where their line of vision would be. What is that? It's called like the 180 rule, right? Yeah, and uh, Murnau, F.W. Murnau did um, some really cool stuff with that in Nosferatu, where mm-hmm. the girl uh, sits up in her bed and like turns around, and her eyeline goes exactly to where he, when he's on a ship on like the other side of the world, looks over, and they're making eye contact right. immediately. Yeah. So it's, you know... In, in your mind, you put it together. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, but you, you might not be thinking about it at the time. Uh, but yeah, there's really good editing in these in these scenes too, mm-hmm. except for that one weird random shot of a dog. Did you notice that? It's after Slimer pops out of the hot dog cart. There's like, he pops out of the hot dog cart. Uh, the guy gets scared. There's like a family behind him also buying hot dogs from a, a, a competing vendor or something. There's like a little girl and she's like got this rainbow colored jacket on. She moves out of the way. Slimer pops out and then there's this random shot of just like, like I guess a little like, mutt or something. Yeah, it's like or? this little like shaggy dog and somebody's like walking him and he just kind of like looks back over his shoulder just kind of at all the chaos the going on. Yeah, but it's like an they, apropos of nothing. There's no Oh, we gotta have this shot. It's just, oh, it's even scaring dogs. It's so scary. Like, come on, man. So I mean, strange, like a door like, closes and my dogs get scared. Yeah, I mean, you know, as long as it takes to like set up a camera and get everything ready for your shot and this is back in the day when these things were big and clunky and harder to like you know situate somebody was like we gotta have the shot of the dog yeah. gotta have the shot of the dog <laughs> that is odd now you know we had brad mendenhall in here uh from cosmic geppetto podcast uh, a few weeks ago and he was talking about how his favorite character in the movie is winston zedmore yeah and when, because of winston's kind of everyman characteristics he kind of is there to be a surrogate for the audience and then also kind of act as the the guy who, uh, you know, uh, is is saying what everybody's thinking, basically. What did you take about his moment here where he says, okay. like, hey, I, I just work with these guys. I have got a note on that. Yeah. What is he doing? Why Is he, is he to, selling them down the river? Is he selling them down the river? Uh, like, what's, what's, is he, 
Yeah, I, I what just, is going on? I mean, at that point, I think that he he is kind of like looking out for himself. I mean, which you, you have to. He's about to get thrown in jail for something that he didn't invent the containment unit. He didn't invent the proton packs. He does just work there. I don't fault him for coming in and saying like, hey, guys, I got to get my own lawyers. Yeah, but no why? Offense. Like they wrote that into the script and took the made the point to include all that. Why? I think it's a little bit of a character arc. Because he wants to kind of say, like, I'm not with these guys. I just work here. I didn't build this stuff. This isn't my fault that this happened. I wasn't even there where the explosion happens. Then in a few minutes, he's the one that convinces the mayor to give the Ghostbusters whatever they want. You know, he sits down and points his finger and he's like, I've been working for these guys for three weeks and I've shit, seen shit that would turn you white. So he's the guy right now who's trying to get his own ass out of the fire. And then in a few minutes, he decides, no, I'm all in on this. Yeah, he's Feels like maybe there's it. a little bit of a step missing there. But Winston yeah. does kind of like say... I'm not part of this. In a few minutes, he's galvanized to the side of the Ghostbusters. You know, okay, yeah. And here's what's interesting about that. He is kind of trying, like, you know, to throw him under the bus, or not throw him under the bus, but totally ditch him and be like, I'm not with yeah. these guys. I'm not mm-hmm. with these guys. And then later, it's not just him saying, like, hey, all this all this stuff's real and all this stuff. It's him, like, defending them. Yeah. And he's got their back and he's yeah. going right up to the mayor, leaning over the mayor of New York City's desk and saying, I have seen shit that would turn you white yeah. since I've joined these men. Yeah. And now, so now he's like standing up for him. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Imagine you show up somewhere, you just, you, you, you need a job. These guys say, hey, yeah. this thing pays, you know, our, your paycheck will come in on time. You'll probably just jump at the opportunity as well. And then a few weeks later, you're being arrested for something you really didn't have anything to do with. I probably would do the same thing. I'd say to the judge, hey, uh, you know, I just really took a job here. I'm not the guy in here, you know, making the decisions on this. So I don't fault him in this at all. But I do think the purpose of this, now that I'm thinking about it, is so that he can really go up and defend them and be again the common man speaking to the mayor saying like yeah you know i just i i worked in it it is a, it's an awkward little character arc that kind of happens there yeah it's, it feels awkward or whatever but it is cool that they said like okay this is we, we don't just want this winston character to kind of be there yeah and to be a part of the crew and uh and just have that be that we need to give him his little uh his arc. yeah yeah uh, whenever they're in the prison, um, there is a guy with a black leather jacket on and like a little newsy hat or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Is he smoking? He's smoking. Yeah. yeah. That is a, apparently a friend of Dan Aykroyd's name. <laughs> really? Hang on. I've got it right here. His name is, uh, is it Bob? It looks like he looks like a Bob. Larry Chicago Bob. Bill Zarian. He owns a woman's shoe store in Martha's Vineyard called Take It Easy Baby. Well, you know what's funny is Martha's Vineyard is where they yeah. actually wrote the. Dan Aykroyd has a house there, and he has his basement, his dungeon. Aykroyd's like uh, you know headquarters or whatever, and that's yeah. where they wrote the screenplay for Ghostbusters over a two week period after the, he and Harold Ramis and Ivan Reitman locked themselves in there. So that's really funny. That I don't know. I'm sure that Larry down there maybe like brought him some pizza or some you know Miller Light or something like, like that one night, and they're like, "Hey man, I want to be in a movie. I always wanted to be in movies. We're gonna make you a star, Larry. Yeah, Larry the Shoe Man." Yeah, no, but I thought for sure that's like Chicago Larry, you know, like Dan Aykroyd's buddy, yeah. you know, uh, works at the, you know, concession booth at Cubs Stadium or something. <laughs> <laughs> Another cool thing that happened here was um, apparently when they were shooting, there was some extra in there who just started mouthing off and making jokes at yeah. Ivan Reitman and stuff again. And Ivan Reitman's like, all right, you're fired. Get yeah. the hell up. And the guy thought he was joking. And he was like, no, I'm not kidding. Get the hell off of my set. Yeah, yeah. So... There's some interesting stuff that happens in uh, in this jail scene, which we'll get into in the next couple of minutes here. But uh, the only other thing that I had here is, you know, uh, Egon does say that the, uh, the the makeup of the roof cap, the Temple yeah. of Gozer up at the top, the Altar of Gozer, is that the same that uh, is used to uh, locate dead pulsars in space? Uh, so it's a it's it could be made to contact something outside of our universe, oh, right? Okay. So it's a focusing point, and it's like a superconductor for spiritual energy. That's why all the spiritual energy focuses up to Dana Barrett's apartment. It zooms past her. It goes up to the roof yeah. cap, and then the explosion <laughs> comes down the stairwell. That's why when 
in a few minutes when Lewis Tully and Dana Barrett walk up the stairs that are located behind the refrigerator, you see that outward blast. So the blast of spiritual energy came behind her when she's standing there and it blows it out into the street. That's from the roof cap down through the, I've the staircase. I've never thought of that. There's probably intention of having a scene in between where the, you know, the inside of the apartment explodes, but they probably didn't have that kind of technology back then. So. I mean, it does. When she's standing well, there. I mean, I mean she does, but I'm thinking of something in the effect of um, Inception, all those mm-hmm. explosions that happen around okay, them, yeah, like yeah, probably yeah. wanted something like that. I mean, I'm just assuming here. Something but, that's really cool. One, something obviously you never really pay attention to. When you're watching this movie your whole life, you never look for stuff like this, but when she's looking out the window, it's her perspective out the window at Central Park. Yeah. All the beams come towards the window and then up because they're going to the top of the building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I never really thought about that. I didn't think about it either until I was watching it back then. I was thinking about, okay, you know, the roof cap and everything, it's it's made to contact goes. Yeah. yeah. So that's where all this stuff's going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, whenever they did the explosion effect, that's her standing in there. She's, really? They were like, oh, we can put like a mannequin in, uh, like a dummy, or we can put a double. And she's like, no, I want to do this. So when that explosion happens, that's her. But it, it makes for a very cool scene because yeah, it, it really you know, does. What's weird is that growl that happens right before it explodes. Yeah. You ever notice that? Yeah. And I always kind of felt that was weird. I was like, is that a ghost growling is that her is it Zul growling is she the reason the explosion happens but now that I think about it it's the spiritual energy coming back down through the apartment so Uh, but yeah so I have one other thing here Uh, Ray says that the girders that make up the building have selenium cores well selenium is a chemical element with the symbol SE and atomic number 34 it's a non-metal with properties that are intermediate between the elements above and below the periodic table sulfur and tellurium uh, it rarely occurs in its elemental state as a pure ore compound in Earth's crust. Selenium is known to have some semiconducting properties. So selenium was actually something that was used uh, before silicon was used in computers and stuff like that. So it stands to reason that if you're trying to make this building a giant superconductor satellite to try to contact you know, spiritual beings in another dimension, you would put some sort of superconducting filament inside the girder. So basically, that entire building is just made to call out to ghosts, which is, is, so is cool. such a cool idea. Instead of so. just saying in the screenplay, like... Uh oh, the, the rooftop was used by the Gozerian Society to do all this right. stuff. They go into detail about like the structural yeah. things that they had to use to yeah. implement that. So that's, well, that's all I got. That's yeah. all I got for minute yeah. number 72. So, all right, folks, we'll see you back again tomorrow for minute number seven, D1, 71. There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, all right, I'm Kyle. Ugh, Brady. Let's do that again. Yeah. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And we're here to remind you that death is but a door, time a window. We'll be back. Ghostbusters Minute is a fan-supported podcast. To become a patron of Ghostbusters Minute and gain access to exclusive weekly bonus content, visit us at patreon.com slash gbminute. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at ghostbustersminute at gmail.com and visit us online at ghostbustersminute.com, facebook.com slash ghostbustersminute, twitter.com slash gbminute, and look us up on Instagram at ghostbustersminute. Our theme song is Ectoplasm by Audionautics, which is licensed under the Creative Commons Attributions License.